0: Conversations with Catholic Voices. Tackling the tough questions with Daniel Noor and Catholic Voices Australia.
1: Hello, Cradio listeners. My name is Daniel Noor. When I entered the Catholic Church on September the 21st, 2011, I brought all of my confusion, anxiety and uncertainty right in with me. As a young journalist searching for the truth, I'll be interviewing a spokesperson of Catholic Voices, a nationwide media representative of the church every week. I invite you to join me. Have your questions about today's hot topics answered as well. This is Conversations with Catholic Voices. And today, once again, our topic is the Synod, What You Need to Know. For our second installment on the specifics of the Synod, our guest is Andrew Milne. Andrew is a young father. He converted in 2011 as well. And he's also thirsty to know more about the Church's teachings. He studied law and engineering, but is about to go into teaching. Andrew, thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks, Daniel.
1: Last time we looked at some of the uh, tension between the uh, church's dogma on the one hand and the lack of change in in teaching and the pastoral challenges that the church faces with a society that um, you said was increasingly in, unable to see the good or the value in what were once unanimously agreed teachings about the, mm. the, the significance of marriage and the way that it's the best... Traditional family is the best possible way to raise a child, and and all of this, and of also and also all of the other, you know, the prevalence of same sex relationships, and um, the how common divorce and separation is, and all of this, and also we did look in passing at some of the tensions that existed within the um, the I suppose administration of the synod between cardinals and their viewpoints on mm. where the church. Was heading. Um, we agreed that it was the church's teaching, which um, does re- seem to n- not really be in question so much, but that this paramount and pressing need for coming alongside people and really uh, approaching people with what the synod has termed gradualism, a-, a new style of approach called gradualism, meeting people where they're at. So, Andrew, we were hoping now to look at some of the specific uh, paragraphs of the document, of the relatio released by. The Vatican so um let's start shall we start with same-sex couples
0: yeah sure so so that's dealt with in paragraph 55 and it's Okay. probably worth just reading the paragraph because it's not it's not very long or most of it anyway
1: sure did you want to uh, read that please?
0: yeah i'll read it so it says the synod fathers asked themselves what pastoral attention might be appropriate from for them uh, those with same-sex attraction in accordance with the church's teaching, and the teaching is there are absolutely no grounds for considering homosexual unions to be any way similar or even remotely analogous to God's plan for marriage and family. The report goes on. Nevertheless, men and women with homosexual tendency ought to be received with respect and sensitivity. And quoting um, another church document, every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. Uh, so that's that's what the full term report has to say. Okay. So, very much it's highlighting the church's current teaching, and saying how can we relook at the way we're dealing with these situations pastorally? Um, we need to rethink this and and come up with ways to, to uh, engage people in, in what is a, a rapidly developing situa- situation, I sure. guess.
1: And yet there seems to be a little bit of a, I don't want to say a departure, but a real dilution of the, the tone that was in the interim document. I think mm. it was the interim document which said that we we provide for homosexuals and which once said at an, in an earlier stage, we welcome homosexuals or can we welcome their gifts and that they bring significant gifts into the church. Mm. There's none of that here. Why the change?
0: Mm. Well, look, I think the whole situation with the interim report and then this final report is, is quite regrettable, really, because it's uh, it's just very confusing uh, for people looking on to see all of a sudden this very, very sort of open and, I might say, ambiguous sort of language um, all of a sudden, and then uh, one minute it's, it's on the the table in the next mm. minute, it sort of whisk, whisked away, uh, and it's regrettable that that occurred because it doesn't doesn't help anyone. Uh,
1: yeah, and I and mm. I think also that the tone did help people. It was an encouraging recognition mm. of not mm. the the need for a dilution of the church's dogma, and I'm sure that there are yeah. people who feared it would be read that way, and even cardinals who feared it would be read that way, and maybe mm. pushed for it to change. Maybe that's why we see the mm. change. That we have now kind of harsh language like there are absolutely no grounds for considering homosexual unions to be in any way similar or even remotely analogous to god's plan for marriage and family nevertheless yeah. men and women with a homosexual tendency ought to be received with respect and sensitivity mm. uh, i don't think i i don't understand yeah i don't understand what brought this about
0: well i yeah i think i think there's little to be gained from sort of trying to sort of work out the sequence events of how that all happened. Okay. But, but I think the key point is that the final report situates the inquiry of how do we address the situation pastorally. It situates that inquiry in the context of current t- church teaching. And that's what, as Catholics, we would expect the church to be doing. We don't expect backflips. We expect truth, but we, we very much expect that that truth is to be spoken in love. Um, and that's something that, so again, we have that tension and that's the tension that the church will always be living in that tension. Mm. Um, we can't expect to uh, escape that tension. Um, and so what's happening now is, is particularly looking at the situation in terms of um, same-sex attractive people. Okay. right. Uh, and and in, in terms of what you're saying, in terms of some of the language in the interim report, things like welcoming, I mean, ultimately the church doesn't look at people on the basis of their sexuality i mean we're all children of god that's how the church sees us so there is just no doubt and it's a a total given that the church welcomes all people uh and i guess the concern was with that language that it seemed to be sort of saying that well it seemed like it was endorsing same-sex unions i guess uh and any Discussion of that sort of issue needs to be done carefully. Otherwise, it'll just confuse people and that's exactly what's happened
1: Right. Okay. So you might even say there was too much, you know, that the tone was somehow too uh, Open, but in any case what, what does it mean now these there are two paragraphs on this section 55 mm. and 56 what 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 are some in your opinion? Are there any noteworthy kind of statements made about the pastoral attention towards people with homo- homosexual tendencies as its term?
0: Look to be honest it doesn't really say anything. It it literally says this is the current teaching. We need to consider how to apply it in in the pastoral context. So it's it literally is just setting the agenda for for the ne- for the, the year of deliberations and the synod in 2015. Mm. So really it's, no, it's very had, of course, much
1: I forgot I forgot I forget about that this this is not the end of this.
0: No it's it's literally the beginning it's yeah. not the end. So um so it's really With all of these things, it's very much a case of wait and see. Um, And and that's where a lot of the confusion um, arises because as soon as the Vatican puts out a document on its website, people think it's, you know, the new catechism kind of thing. Sure. Um, And certainly in the case of the interim report, I mean, that had, you know, virtually zero sort of... uh, uh, Teaching, I mean, it literally, well, literally zero teaching authority, and this document is not a teaching document. It's an it's an agenda for the for the next year.
1: Right. Okay. Then. All right. Well, let's quickly move on to the second uh, area, which is separated people, separated couples.
0: Mm. Uh, now, um,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. So the, there's a section um, that's the, that's entitled "Caring for Broken Families," and it begins with the reassurance, and it, it says. Married couples with problems in their relationship should be able to count on the assistance and guidance of the church. And it goes on to affirm that the pastoral work of charity... Sure. and. Sorry, where, which section is this, Andrew? Uh, look, I haven't... Let me just search for a,
1: There are many, many paragraphs. Um,
0: okay, it begins at 44.
1: Wonderful. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. Yep. Sorry to interrupt. That's all right.
0: Yeah, so there, there's a few ideas in there. One interesting one of... Is the idea of listening centres, and I, I guess essentially they're sort of mediation centres. So basically, the the idea that's being floated is that dioceses create um, a forum for couples in crisis. To I, I guess it's more than counselling; it's sort of um, a, a mediation centre to try and try and get marriages back on track that have that are really in crisis. Um, so that I mean that sounds like a really great proposal. So it'll be interesting to see how that that sort Mm. of develops um and the other point that the, the document makes is that that there's a need to address the consequences of separation or divorce on children in a faithful and constructive way um because the reality is that i mean many of our generation do come from broken homes and um they know the suffering they've endured and there's little um value in us sort of going around um Uh, sort of saying you know that families need to stay together and things like that when actually this person you know that that's all that's all in their history and now we have to find a way of inspiring them to to believe in marriage again and to 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 have faith that real love and a long lifelong union is possible
1: so really the is the outcome presented or proposed here is change society
0: Exactly. Well, yeah.
1: I mean, we can do that easily. I'll give it a day or two and then let's all call for lunch, I think. So, great. All right. Now, the second and obvious progression is divorced and remarried and single parent families, especially divorced. I was interested to know, please give us an outline, generally speaking, but is there any mention of the reception of the um, of the Eucharist for divorced and then remarried people? Has there been an opening up of the access to the sacrament?
0: Well, again, this document essentially records the discussion that took place and uh, for the purposes of sort of raising points um, to be further considered. So the document certainly notes that some of the the, the bishops at the Synod um, believe that there there should be made available to remarried persons a, a, a way back, if you like, yeah, into the church.
1: That's what I heard in, in the news, some kind of like recourse that they're given.
0: Yeah, so that's basically um, Cardinal Kasper's proposal. Yes, that's and, right. And yes. um, the suggestion is that by perhaps some sort of penitential um, action, they could, they could sort of be re- rehabilitated, I guess. Um, but it's very clear from the document and from the votes on the document, the two paragraphs that deal with that issue are the two most controversial paragraphs in the document yes. in the sense that, They didn't get two-thirds majority. Um, There was a lot of dissension. So you can't say whether that was people who wanted it to go further or people who thought it didn't go far enough. We don't know, but we can say that, you know, the bishops struggled to get any kind of consensus on the wording of that issue.
1: And yet it's such a long part of the document. It seems to have gotten the most attention.
0: Yes. um, I think, I mean, the key... There's a couple of key paragraphs. Most of it uh, is, is less controversial, but it's very much the communion question that's that's the
1: controversial one. Which is Cardinal Casper's um, proposition. Yes. Isn't um, there... Uh, go ahead. I, I have. I, I thought that there was already a change about this, though. I thought that... I, I saw photographs of Pope Francis marrying... The, the, you know, when, when that broke at the beginning of last month or mid-October, about him marrying... Uh, couples who were, who were divorced or separated, couple and then remarrying them.
0: No, um, no, no, no. I think um, what what occurred a month or so ago was there was a bit of a kerfuffle because Pope Francis married a couple who had been cohabiting. I, I, look, I could be wrong, but I think it was a cohabiting couple, and I guess bizarrely, you know, it sort of got reported in the media as you know, the Pope marries sinners. Well, of course, the Catholic Church marries sinners all the time. Mm. Um, I'm one of those sinners who got married. Uh, None of us live a perfectly chaste life prior to our marriage. And and the whole reason of being of the church is to call people into holiness, to take us out of what might be sinful situations and to lead us um, on the path towards Christ's plan for a flourishing life. And in the case of couples, that of course means marriage. Um, So there certainly hasn't been any change whatsoever um, Mm. at this point in time. My guess is that um, what we will see is uh, some procedural changes around the way in which the marriage tribunals operate, um, and, and those are the tribunals that ultimately, in some cases, declare a, a marriage to, to or make a declaration of nullity in respect mm. of the So, in some marriages. instances,
1: there is a declaration of nullity, is what you're saying?
0: Yeah, well, that that's what's sort of commonly referred to as the annulment process, yes. so that um, when a couple, I mean, basically the church's teaching is that for a valid marriage, there's a number of ingredients that are required and that, that's that consent is there, that it's a free and unconditional consent and that also there's consent to fidelity, indissolubility, openness to children and that there's not any impediments to the marriage, so things like coercion mm. and finally that the sort of, this, the sacramental formula, I guess, is followed during the ceremony. Um, right, and so that, and
1: that is there going to be an opening up of that uh, of of the uh, grounds for annulment, a loosening of the of the of you know the conditions? Yeah,
0: well, I, look, I think the best way to look at it, and I this is what I think will happen, is that there'll I guess be a reapplication of those principles um, in light of the cultural current cultural uh, context, and that context is that marriage is in crisis people no longer understand what marriage is so the reality is that many people are entering into marriages without really understanding what they're doing or else there's another whole situation of you know the people long periods of cohabitation um and we sort of know from social science and you know surveys and all sorts
1: of and reality
0: reality that for example uh, when a couple has been living together for years and years and years, it's generally the woman who wants to get married. And, you know, you can imagine that oftentimes there's guys who don't really want to get married but feel they sort of have to because they've been with this their partner for so long, things like that. So 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 what could once be taken for granted that people generally sort of understood what marriage was and that generally they were entering it in, into it um, relatively freely, that... We can't take that for granted anymore. So I think we can expect to see more recognition of that in the mm. marriage tribunal and the way that marriages are looked at when it comes to declarations of nullity.
1: Right, okay. Well, that's 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 an important change then. Uh, any mm. word on contraception?
0: No, there's nothing on contraception. So that's, that's sort of interesting, I guess. Uh, I think that really speaks to the sort of... Um, The fact that that was a huge issue in the 60s and early 70s and humanity Vitae really was a bombshell. Mm. Um, But I guess things have moved on since then. Um, Contraception was sort of the issue that led to all these other issues. Contraception separated um, sex, babies and marriage essentially. That was kind of the wedge that drove those things apart. And now we're seeing all sorts of different permutations of that That separation i guess mm. um and so that, if you like the church is having to deal with this sort of second degree issues that are now arising due to that so yeah
1: in a way it, the, the repercussions <laughs> of of a social change rather than yeah change. exactly and i suppose there's nothing that could be said about this because i mean i, I never heard anything even cardinal casper who many have touted to be the most liberal of all of the voices mm. uh has said nothing as far as i, I can i know on the you know the on reproductive yeah um, kind yeah of t- teaching is that right?
0: Uh, look, as far as I, I I wouldn't know to be honest, but I haven't heard anything. No, yeah, I think it's. I mean, certainly we have to have a lot of sympathy in terms of the whole divorce question because it's you know you just can't compare it to contraception. Contraception is a a, a sort of you know a situation where every time you know a couple come together, they're presented with that option of doing what the church uh, mm-hmm. proclaims is good or else sort of doing it their own way kind of thing. Whereas a divorce is so much more complex. I mean there's people who have divorced, remarried and now have children in this new marriage. So it's it's an incredibly complex issue. So I think it's we can I think we have to see the controversy and the tensions between different factions in light of the complexity of that and, and the gravity of that, that yes. issue.
1: And could I get um, some, you in Mm. in doing that to talk to me about as we as we draw to a close is this an important is this synod historically important why does it represent an important post vatican ii moment for example
0: there's no doubt that the synod is very significant historically um At the time of Vatican II, that was, that was over 50 years ago. And, and the church at that time was responding to, to the culture, uh, it found itself in at that time. Um, now the family is in a completely different situation. It's under a, a lot more stress. And so it's, it's, it is historic that the church has, uh, decided to look at the issue of families in particular, and really ask itself how it can be the face of Christ um, to those families who are suffering and and uh, and in real difficulty.
1: Mm. Andrew, that's it for today's discussion of the Synod. Uh, but the conversation continues on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash conversations cv, conversations cv. Join us there and have your say. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thanks, Daniel.
1: I'm Daniel Newell, and thank you for joining us in this instalment of The Synod, What You Need to Know.
0: You've been listening to Conversations with Catholic Voices. To connect with Daniel and the Catholic Voices Australia team, visit facebook.com forward slash conversations cv. To leave a question for a future episode, call 0280051530 or Skype Cradio Limited. cradio.org.au